Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about the Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in Placentia, California at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. This is safety day. Oh, look at your front row. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Good morning, everybody. Hello. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to keep going until there's some sort of warmth coming back. Good morning. Good morning. That doesn't have to be fake. It doesn't have to be fake warmth, but just something. All right, guys. Good morning. We're so glad that you are here. Welcome to Vox. Um, particularly if it's your first time, hello, it's me. And, uh, and we're thrilled. A um, couple of big, it's Josiah, a uh, couple of big things coming up in our community. First of all, this Wednesday night, something called a new Tavox dinner. It's at our place, and it's, I don't know what we're going to have. Sometimes it's barbecue, sometimes it's, um, sometimes it's Mexican, sometimes pasta. Clearly, though, I enjoy whatever it is. Um, but it is this Wednesday, and the way you sign up is you go to voxoc.com. And, that, uh, and I think we're at a waiting list, but people invariably have conflicts, or they come twice. And they realize, no, no, I actually am the real teacher. Uh, and, uh, and so they were just hoping it was a guest. So um, anyway, we are thrilled you're here. You can go to voxoc.com. Find out more about us. Give us your information um, and uh, sign up for that. We're also, look at me. Look at me. In two weeks, we will be in the middle of a nine o'clock service right now. All right? So in two weeks, we're going to two services. So we're going to a nine and we're going to 11. So some of you will come at 10. Okay? We will put a, just a kind of a scarlet letter on you that just says forgetful. Like, so it'll be an F. Don't take that personally. And, uh, and we'll, we'll give you like a Starbucks gift card and you can come back at 11. But we're going to 9 and 11, all right? 9 and 11. Now, next, next week, we're doing that in two weeks. So next week, we're really going to give you some visual reminders of this. So that'll be at 11 and that'll be in 9. It'll be glorious. But here's why we're doing it. Because look around, there's still room, right? There's still room. So why would we go to two? Oh, there's three reasons, brothers and sisters. Number one, uh, you need room to stretch out and go to sleep if that's what you want to do. Number two, no, I'm kidding. Number one, we are big fans of empty seats. We uh, have prayed for this community to be a place for pre- and post-Christians and the Christians who love them. And um, if anytime we're feeling full, we don't, we don't look at that as a good thing. We always want to create lots and lots of room. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we always, our expectation and hope is that you're always bringing someone along with you. Um, secondly, we have a whole, we have an amazing team of uh, participants uh, and mem- team members who are volunteering their time. Good morning. And uh, if, they, if they work in the two gyms uh, watching your kids, they don't get to come to service. So if we have two, they can serve one and come to one. And then thirdly, uh, we are aiming squarely for people that sit in the back row. We're a huge fan of people that sit in the back row, like this gentleman waving at me right now. And, uh, and believe it or not, in the next 15 minutes, the back row will be full. So we need more back row room. Hence, front row could be empty, but if the back row is full, we're going. So 9 and 11, two weeks, there you go. Say hello to Josh. Come on, Josh. That's your cue. 
That's your cue. This is Josh. Josh is going to share a bit of his story with us. Testing. Cool. It's amazing that stuff works. Right. We, so we, run need, a tight, if, we run a tight ship. Right, cool. If I need to throw up, I go right there, right? Throw up there, right. jump, okay. whatever you want to do. Right. My name is Josh. I was supposed to get married in November, and now I'm not. I'm 23. I'm an illustration major at Long Beach State. I serve as a part of the podcast team here at Vox. Since I help with editing, and that is actually during the week, I don't really do anything on Sunday, so I just kind of wander around, and they're cool enough to give me a t-shirt. That's right. Yeah. You just showed up. Some vagabond. Ooh, that's harsh. Well, um, vagabond looking. You weren't at heart. Okay. A bit more about me. Uh, I work at Best Buy, where most of my time revolves around explaining Wi-Fi in the cloud to the elderly. I'm not I'm a elderly. huge nerd. I love video games, sci-fi, computers, the works. Not a fan of Coors Light, definitely not the king of beers. Um, growing up in your Belinda, when you walk out those doors, you can see where I went to high school. Have grown up with amazing parents of a strong marriage, a younger sister who is more smart and brilliant than I could ever be, and a younger brother who is a high schooler, freshman, and he functions on the same maturity level as I do, which says a lot about me. Perfect. Definitely nervous. All right. When I graduated high school, I slowly withdrew from church. There were many factors into why the church didn't feel like home anymore, and sometimes felt like the teaching was catered towards older church folk. Uh, around this time, uh, long story short, there was a girl who I thought was cute, invited me to a bigger church in Fullerton, and I thought it was a winning situation. That's what I'm talking church. about. Yeah. Uh, and then I met my best friend there. Uh, the romance did not happen with the girl. Romance happened with the friend. Uh, matching t-shirts, video games. Uh, late nights sharing a knife together it was great. Feels are real. <laughs> Feels are real. <laughs> All right. I served in children's ministry there. Um, I served under a handsome mustache man named David Robles. He does not have the mustache anymore, though. Um, those years of my life were great, and serving was such a huge blessing towards me. Now to the big stuff. Around this time, God brought an amazing woman into my life. I was crazy about her. Pretty guard when it comes to relationships I had been into previously. Never said I love you, which in hindsight I realized was kind of insensitive and weak on my part. Um, but this new girl got that phrase out of me within the first three months of being together. My quality of life with her was amazing, and uh, I entered one of the happiest chapters of my entire life. I loved her deeply. I loved her family. It was the whole deal. She also loved Christ, and I wanted to be the best man I could be by loving God so I could in turn love her too. And last year in December, I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. I thought I knew exactly where my life was headed. I'm not engaged anymore. My wedding was set for November, and summer this year started with my engagement falling apart and me trying to pick up the pieces. I was trying to hold my relationship together with both hands, and for reasons that I couldn't control if I had to let go. Breakups are horrible, but this tore me apart because I had lost someone I loved as well as a future that I had desired so deeply. Hmm. I was angry, I was depressed, I was confused. Basically just a giant mess of emotions that I really just wanted to get away from. Old demons like pornography and new ones like excessive drinking slowly crept into my life. Because I am human and this was an objectively horrible time, I definitely stumbled. There were weeks where I would go out every night to distract myself. I wanted to run away. I wanted to find any distraction. I still had my faith, but I felt so broken. I had natural feelings that my Lord had forsaken me. I can objectively say now that I was an idiot for thinking that. He had me in his hands as soon as I fell. I was trying to run away and I can see so clearly how my Savior was not going to let that happen. It's funny how too often I feel that we forget if we are going through a rough ride, it means the Lord might be taking a moment to focus on us, not abandon us, 
Don't get me wrong, this process was ugly and awkward, and there were days I cursed into the wind and put my middle finger to the sky. That friend I mentioned earlier pulled me into the Vox community, which coincidentally started around the time my engagement broke off. Uh, it just so happened, too, that they were in need of a geek like me to help with the podcast workflow. Yeah, we don't understand Wi-Fi and uh, the cloud. Or the cloud. I'll help you with that later. Um, uh, my friend also had some restructuring in his own life that allowed him to spend more time with me, so I was making safe decisions instead of harmful ones. A short while ago, when it was my first week back at school for the semester, I remember finally breaking down on my commute to school. I love the band Switchfoot. Yeah, they're a Christian band, but unlike many Christian artists, I feel their work is unfiltered and raw. Some of their songs are about the times you feel lost when you're in your worst mess and you're struggling to find your way out. There's a song of theirs called The Shadow Proves the Sunshine. Oh Lord, why have you forsaken me? My heart is darker than these oceans. My heart is frozen underneath. We are crooked souls trying to stay up straight. The shadow proves the sunshine are the words I heard from that track that day. I straight up sobbed harder than I can ever remember. I was overwhelmed with the truth in these lyrics that my savior was right there for me. I'm still in process, I'm beaten, I'm battered. Things are not all sunshine at the moment. I still have open wounds, but even when it was trampled, God protected the spark in my heart. It is still burning, I'm not gonna stamp it out. I, I have not read my Bible cover to cover, but there are some verses that I hold close to my heart. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11 was something I've always held on to, but there's a snapshot at the beginning of that verse I'd like to focus on. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Yep, as much as I thought I knew my future, um, I actually did not. I may not be able to see far ahead on this path that I'm on, but that does not mean he can't. Yeah, it's scary, and no, I'm not always a fan of this concept, and quite honestly, I don't think any sane person likes not knowing where they're headed. Now, I'm happy to give you guys an update on where I'm at right now and close my bit here. Recently, God brought the woman I love back into my life, and we have a long road ahead of us, and it's not going to be easy, but I know that he knows the plans he has for me. Still in process, still recovering my sanity, still a little bruised, still trying to wander my way out of all of this, but my Savior is leading me. And on that note, because I'm a huge nerd, I like to clo close with this quote from J.R.R. Tolkien, because why not? Not all those who wander are lost. Amen, dude. Amen. Thank you. You did it. No vomiting. So... Uh, we're huge fans of, uh, of folks sharing their story, and the reason the reason's pretty obvious. Um, we want to make it normal for people to be really honest. Part of what our goal is is to be able to talk about anything, and uh, we all come in with uh, prequels. We all come in with situations right now that we're, we're dealing with, and we want to make it okay. The church should be the safest place to talk about anything. And so we try to model that by courageous men and women coming up and sharing their story. Some of you need to do that. You have a story to share. And so if that's true, email me at mike at voxoc.com and we would love to have you here. It's so great. Um, uh, the, the thing we want to do now is we want to do some singing. And, and the reason we do that is because Christians have always uh, sung their prayers uh, there are prayers, obviously, that we say, um, but uh, there's always been uh, music or the Psalter from the Old Testament that people would use to aid them in focusing their attention. Uh, and so you're more than welcome to stand. You're more than welcome to sit. You're more than welcome to just sit and read the words. Um, we recognize in this room there are followers of Jesus, and there are folks who are not. And we're thrilled you're both here. So uh, grace is just the word. Some of you may want to stand and lift your hands and, and go nuts. Some of you just may want to sit. It's okay either way. So I'm going to pray. 
And then Izzy's going to take it from here. So God, we thank you that in the midst of darkness, um, even though it feels at times like uh, we've been left alone, uh, there, is a, there is a truth that, um, that we need to be reminded of. Namely, that very rarely do you pull us out of difficulty, but you meet us in it. And, uh, and so Lord, we bless you for that. We're so very grateful that you are constant, you are faithful, you are unchanging. Because uh, God, we, we're, we come, and, and some, some days it's been a great week and a good day, and other times it's just, we're in the midst of just craziness. And we're so grateful that you come to receive us. You're not shocked, you're not surprised. You see all that's going on. And so we come today uh, because we're curious, or because we're committed, or whatever it is. Uh, but we ask that you would meet with us, and that you would give us ears to hear whatever you would say. So we bless you now, and we use these words to focus our hearts and to give you praise. Amen. So one of the things that um, we do around here is uh, we give you the opportunity to ask questions about the stuff you're hearing or singing or whatever. And so uh, you guys have been taking advantage of that quite diligently. Uh, So before we dive in uh, to this week, we want to look at some questions from last week. So go ahead and put those up if you would. Question number one is coming. Oh, good Lord. That is, why does God allow that? That's the, I think that was the question. All right, please, please. Boy, needs to lose some weight. All right. Please tell me why I would worship or model my parenting after God when he put his son to death and gave him as a human sacrifice. Woo! Now, how many of you think I can answer that in 30 seconds? None. So here's what we're going to do. The next two weeks will be an attempt to shed some light on that. All right? So we're going, we're going phrase by phrase through this very famous verse, John 3.16. So for God so loved the world, we're going to look at the next two weeks. He gave his son. So we're going to look at why and what and how. And to some degree, that was exactly the image of God we were trying to war against last week. Instead of an angry God sending his father so that, so that the anger can go somewhere besides us. And, um, and does the Bible use some of this imagery? Sure. And we want to talk about why. So, so the next two weeks, um, if you're here today, please come back. And remember, week number two is 9 and 11. And, um, and, and we'll take a shot at uh, answering that. We won't be able to do it all justice. And if you still have that question, still put it back, still text us and say, okay, good try. I'm still not convinced. And we'll say, great, let's go to coffee. All right, next. How can you explain that God was before everything? How can he be before time and space and matter? All right, simple. I can answer that in 30 seconds. No, not even remotely. So, so part of the problem is, what's the time word in that first sentence? What's the time word? Before. So immediately, we, the only way we can even ask the question is by using a time word in an attempt to talk about something that at least the scriptures teach is outside of time. So current, so we can't even get our heads around it even to ask the question. But let me just take a quick shot. So current cosmology says that there existed, and Todd, you correct me on this, 
Todd's our resident scientist, uh, that there, there existed a singularity uh, that we call the Big Bang of matter, time, and space that exploded at a moment in time. The universe didn't always exist. The Christian version of events, uh, at least one reading of it, the reading I subscribe to, is that God was behind that. That, that what the reason the universe hasn't always existed but has only existed a finite time is because something that was not defined by space, time, and matter with a will made a decision to create. And that, amen? I, I, I did it? So, and, and, that's Todd, and space, time, and matter all had to come into existence simultaneously. Because if you just had my matter without space, where would the matter go? So, so one way to think of it is like this. We experience time like a parade. Here's one thing, here's another thing, here's another thing. One, one idea or conception of how God experiences time is that he sees the parade every moment all at once. There, there's not a before and after. Uh, there's not a linear sequence. He experiences it all at the same time. Now, I know that doesn't help, and it certainly doesn't explain it. But please understand, the Christian conception was that God can't be defined by space, matter, and time because it was creator of them. So that's the idea. Next. Does God really pursue people who are totally opposed to him? Such as when the Israelites gave sacrifices but didn't give to the poor and needy, God plugged his ears to their prayers, didn't he? Oh, such a good question. All right, now, does God really pursue people who are totally opposed to him? Yes. Such as when he, the Israelites gave sacrifices. Now, who are the Israelites in the biblical story? God's people who've been pursued, correct? They've already been pursued. Part of their pursual was a covenant that said, if you obey God, it will go well, and if you do not, it will not. Now, we can talk about why he set it up that way, because there were plenty of reasons, and it was like most ancient Near Eastern vassal treaties. But please understand that the example you're giving of somebody who God didn't pursue were people that he'd already pursued and rescued, and that there were times when he would use his prophets to announce, my ears are plugged, I've withdrawn my presence, but what was the point of the prophets if not to pursue the people to repentance? Make sense? So even the example you're giving was an example of him pursuing. Lastly, I feel like I still don't quite understand exactly how Jesus' death rescues us. Why did Jesus have to die? Any recommendations for further reading on this topic? Yes, I have more recommendations you could possibly imagine. But part of the next two weeks is going to be an answer to this question. All right, so if you still have it after the next two weeks, I'm overselling these two weeks like nobody's business. If you still have it, because we won't do it fully justice. If you still have it, text it, and then I can give you all kinds of books. The classic is a book called The Cross of Christ by John Stott, S-T-O-T-T. Uh, 20th century British theologian. Um, but, but please understand, why did Jesus have to die? The normal answer given by the Christian community is because we're sinners and the payment, the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid the debt of death. That's why he had to die. That is one answer of several. And it's the several that make the story very beautiful and interesting. All right? So we'll get to that. Make sense? Can you put the number up if you, if you want to text? 
Uh, anytime during this next 20 minutes or so, go ahead and put that up there. This morning, hey, there we go. If you want to take a picture of that, if you want to put it in your phone, you like put it under the hashtag annoy Mike or put Mike on the spot or whatever. Um, if you want to enter it into your phone that way. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to hear. It's not annoying. I was trying to be playful. Because um, some, some, some of the things you, you text in are funny. Uh, let's just put it that way. Now, today's going to be a little preachy. No, not a preachy. Teachy. It's going to be a little lectury. Sometimes our, the goal is to inspire. And so we, this time is to like, inspire people to take action. This is more teachy. So this is more aimed at your head. Still with an action call. But go ahead and put John 3.16 up. We're going to talk about the world. So here we go. For God so loved the world. God rest MJ soul. Sing it. Sing it. There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. Some of the millennials are going, what is this? This was a big deal. That's right. Yes, we need the lighters. Oh, no, yes. Okay. Oh, beautiful. Oh, oh we'll turn it off. Maybe that'll be our closing song today. We'll, we'll, see. we'll see if Izzy can learn it. Um, <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Seems pretty straightforward, right? We talked about so loved last week. The world seems like it's straightforward, but next slide. Then you have passages like this. Next slide. Do not love the what? Or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So let me get this straight. The Father so loves the world, but anyone, who, uh, anyone else who loves the world, the Father doesn't love. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Or, or next slide, James. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So, exactly. For God so loves the world that you're adulterous if you love it too, right? I mean, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, well, what's this mean exactly? And old, kind of some of old school Christianity had this term from these verses they would use called worldly. Something was worldly if, if it, was, it fell into one of these categories. So you have, on the one hand, God loving the world, and then you have these admonitions that we're not supposed to. Now, as it turns out, next slide, the word world in all those instances is the same word, the word where we get the word cosmos, next. And it's used in three different ways. All right, now this is the luxury part. First of all, when the Bible speaks of the world, in one sense, it means the created order, the, the physical sphere, the, the, the earth. So Genesis 1 or Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, right? So sometimes the world just means the physical created stuff. Next slide. The second meaning is the people, the inhabited earth. 
This is the one, obviously, in John 3, 16, or in Mark 16. He said, go into all the world and preach. So the world here doesn't mean go into all the oceans and the sky. It means go to all the people. So the world can mean the physical space, the physical creation. The world can mean the people who inhabit the physical space. Or thirdly, next slide, it can mean the organized system of human civilization that is actively hostile to God and alienated from God. This is obviously the last two verses we looked at. That's what this means. Now, let, let's be really clear. The, the world in this sense, now stick with me, all right? This is very important. The world in this sense is a combination of three things. Nope, go back. The world in that sense is a combination first of fallen human nature. The biblical story is that darkness is in all of us. It's not just out there somewhere, but we contribute. People hurt us, we hurt others, we hurt ourselves. Secondly, the biblical teaching is that when you collect a bunch of fallen people, that fallenness gets energized and built into systemic injustice. So people will always look out for their own kind first and so on and so on. And then thirdly, and this, if, you're, if you leave the boat at this point, I got it. But the biblical teaching is that there are hostile powers and principalities, spiritual forces that are real in the world that are opposing the work of God, and given the opportunity, will help energize anything that human beings are doing. So that combo results in an alienation, sometimes a hostility, sometimes a very subtle movement away from God and towards things that don't promote human flourishing. All right, makes sense so far. Now, here's the big distinction. Stick with me. It's lecture. I got it. All right, I've got a tank top on underneath. If I have to break that out, I will do that to hold your attention. Yep, yes. Yes, my wife's not here, exactly. All right, next slide. Now, Christians, this is so big. The world does not equal all non-Christian culture. So you cannot look at every bit of music or literature or filmmaking or whatever and just say, well, if it's not Christian, it's worldly. No, no, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. In fact, next slide. Some, some is good. Some is to be received. Right, we sang an Emmylou Harris song, not a, not a like, out Christian artist, but what she sings was true. And Izzy just kills it, let's just be honest about that. Some of it is to be rejected, of course. And some of it's neutral, like Ben and Jerry's versus Baskin Robbins, right? That's, that's morally, well, I say both. Now, that's my problem. And we, all, we also have to distinguish God's creation of something and then the use or abuse of that something. So take sexuality. Right? In the biblical story, this is a good gift of a good God. And our world is full of the carnage of people misusing that or abusing each other with or whatever. Right? Or take politics. If politics is just how human beings organize themselves, that's not necessarily a neutral or that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's become an interesting 
and potentially bad thing in our in our world. So, so what Christians see what Christians have done for far too long has been to squash creativity, to squash um, art, artistry, to squash musicianship, to, to make it fit in this very narrow, this is Jesus-y, and everything else isn't. That's not what the scriptures teach. Next slide. In fact, next slide. In fact, Paul quotes, in your inspired Bible, are quotes from people who worship Zeus. So, in a speech in the city of Athens, which was, not a, non, which was a very non-Christian city, one of the most religious places in the ancient world, some scholars say there were as many as 10,000 monuments and statues and inscriptions to gods and goddesses. More than people lived in the city, all right? So Paul shows up, and they have this monument to an unknown God, just in case they forgot one. Paul, when he's preaching to Jews, he quotes the Old Testament. He's arguing from the the Torah, the Hebrew Scriptures. When he's talking to these guys, his first line is, hey, hey, I noticed that you're very religious. And I noticed that you have this unknown God thing. I'm coming in behalf of him. And then what he does is he begins to deconstruct the two philosophies of the day, Stoicism and Epicureanism, and he does it quoting some of their own poets and some of their own writers. So, this is Paul speaking. God did this, that they, all of humanity, would seek God and perhaps reach out for God and find God, though he is not far from any one of us. And then he quotes Epimenides, for in him we live and move and have our being. Epimenides was not a Christian. Epimenides had a totally different belief system. And yet, on this point, because the Greeks considered him authoritative, what's Paul do? I'm going to quote that guy. So your inspired Bible has the quotes of people that modern Christians would say, no, no, that's a heretic. (laughs) I'll take a woe. That's way better than an amen. I'll say, whoa. Unless, unless it's kind of like, whoa. And then that's a bad whoa. But that's a good whoa. Next slide. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now that was written about Zeus. Paul smuggles it in to argue for the truth of Jesus. Next slide. He does this um, with Titus. So Titus Titus is this young pastor who is absolutely in over his head. And he is ministering in an island called Crete, which was like the Las Vegas island of the ancient world. And he's, he, he's like, one of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. So notice, Paul is reading those people, and where Paul finds commonality, he quotes them. I get into trouble, I've written some books, and I quote people that are too liberal or too this or too that. Paul's not endorsing everything Epimenides ever wrote, right? Just on this point, because it was considered an authority by his audience, he quotes. Or, book of Jude, hey Jude. Jude here quotes from, it's called an apocryphal book. It's a book not part of the inspired canon of scripture that we have, but he quotes it 
And that's really, and the whole book, it's one, cha- one chapter and it's really weird. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, that's nowhere in the Old Testament. We have no idea what he's talking about until we find this ancient document called the Assumption of Moses. And that's where Jude is pulling that in from. My point is, to say everything that's not Christian is bad isn't even to treat your Bible seriously. Because clearly the scriptures, and, and there are many more examples, the scriptures look out in the world and they just simply say this, all truth is God's. It's all God's. It's yours. If you're a follower of Jesus, wherever you find truth, your world just got bigger. Your God just got bigger. That's why I don't think science and faith are opposed. I think they're defined wrongly against each other. When we get a Hubble telescope picture into the very center of the universe, I don't sit there and go, man, it's amazing. That all just kind of happened by itself. I sit there and go, I think someone created this sucker and did a pretty good job. I'm not going to lie. Right? I mean, that's where that takes me. So, for God so loved the world, what's the world here? The people that he gave his one and only son. But there are two other instances of the world that make this a bit of a tricky concept. One is the physical earth. The other is when collective fallen humanity decides to get together and party, good things don't happen. That set of structures is referred to as the world and followers of Jesus are warned to be suspicious of it. Important qualification, though. Not everything, let's put the next slide up. Not everything labeled Christian is, and not everything labeled non-Christian isn't. Right? So you're listening to a radio station, let's say, that's safe for the whole family. (laughs) Hypothetically. And what Christians will do is that we will uncritically swallow... Anything that's repeated there, right? So in the scriptures, Christians are called to test everything and hold on to the good. So you should be sifting and sorting now. The goal isn't for you to agree with me on this stuff. The goal is to make you hungry so that you begin to dive in and study yourself. That's the goal. So for us, we cannot be a community that operates under the binary labeling system of our society, of Christian culture. We have Kleenexes for you so you can wipe the back of your head off, man. There's no way. There's no way you didn't feel something from that. Eric. So, So we want to be people And the scripture's word for this is discerning, right? We can't just walk around and say, hey, this is sacred, this is secular. This is Christian, this is non-Christian. This is godly, this is worldly. the, The picture is more realistic and more difficult than that. Because you don't always know what something is doing, right? So the Bible, for instance, this is one of, my, one of the verses that, that captures it beautifully for me. Is Romans 12. Do not conform to the what? To the pattern of this world. Now, an author by the name of Eugene Peterson translates this. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. 
The idea isn't, hey, guys, you should not be, like, watching non-Christian movies. No, 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 that's that, like, that, no. It's, there's a pattern, there's a value system, there's a, there's a worldview that is opposed to the work of God at work in the world. And that is what you're suspicious of. Not the people that hold it, or not the people that don't agree with, with you, but rather it's the pattern. So let me give you uh, some for instances. Next slide. The, there's this phrase that Christians use that's coming. It's at the top. In the world, but not of the world. Have you heard that phrase? Now, that's not a biblical phrase, but it captures the concept. Although what Christians have done has been to withdraw from the world to create their own structures and societies, right? Their own music, their own art, their own literature, their own films, their own schooling, their own whatever. And and I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying it's interesting. When Jesus prayed, Father, I pray that you would not take them out of the world. So what I want you to do, if you're a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, is to consider the biblical admonition to question what's normal for human life. All right, that's the goal of this next little section. If, there, if it's true that there's a pattern, a set of values, I want you to see how systematically those values are called into question by the Christian story by Jesus himself. So Jesus will say things like, no, it's all right, it's all right. Whoa. <laughs> Jesus will say things like, the first are last, and the last are first, which my son always says when I beat him in video games. <laughs> but do you see the upside-downness of that? First, in the eyes of the world, is last in God's sight. Last in God's sight is actually, or last in the world's sight is first in God's sight. Right Or those who humble themselves will be exalted and those who exalt themselves are humbled. So everyone that has a Facebook page, get ready. (laughs) Whoever saves their life ends up losing it. Whoever wants to be great must be the servant of all. Now all the Christians in the room are going, yeah, yeah, we've all heard this. But look at how dramatically that calls into question normal. When a person is weak, they are strong. None of us, I mean, we know that, but none of us really believe it. Believers are to have nothing yet possess everything. Right? So the idea is there is a pattern that the Jesus movement flips upside down. So if you're a follower of Jesus, none of us get to look at the world and say, oh, it's the big bad world out there and no longer engage. No, we're to sift and to to sort. Some of it we can receive with joy and thanksgiving. Some of it we have to reject outright. Some of it is in need of redemption and in need of salt and light, right? So none of us just get to sit back and throw stones. If you're not a Jesus follower, what this is saying is that there is a pattern, something we call normal, something we don't have to argue for, it just is naturally assumed. And then in the biblical story, that gets indicted by what Jesus does and reveals. All right, or next slide. You can look at it this way. Take the idea of greatness. What, what does it mean to be great in our world? Well, it's to have power and strength. It's to have stature and status. It's to have fame and recognition. 
It's to have wealth and success. It's to be physically attractive, have sex appeal. It's really to be able to get back at those who hurt you and show those people that doubted you, right? That's greatness in our world. Those are, our, those are all of our celebrities. Those are all of our captains and captainesses of industry. That's, that's who we hold up. In the kingdom, who are the great ones? Well, it's the weak. It's those who show kindness and compassion and mercy. It's those that demonstrate forgiveness and humility, who serve and who are modest. And don't read modest as a clothing thing. That is a total misreading of it. Read modest as one who does not call attention to themselves. Instead of revenge and retribution, it's the love of neighbor and enemy. Right? Now, can you, can you buy both definitions at once? No. They're totally opposed to each other. So Jesus' people are in the constant process of sifting and sorting and allowing by the renewal of their minds to be rebuilt with an entirely different value system. But that value system isn't based on the binary Christian, non-Christian, sacred, secular. No, it's based on the inversion of all of that by what Jesus did and what Jesus said. So, if you're a follower of Jesus, what do we do? We engage the world because God loves it. Correct? God loves the people of the world, so we're in the midst of it. We're in Athens, as well as in Jerusalem. Right? We're, we gather here together, great, but we're going to go to work, and we're going to go eat at a restaurant, we're going to go to movies, and we're constantly sifting and sorting what can be rejected, what can be received, what is in need of redemption. Some of you can see movies that I just can't see. Right? If I've struggled, I had a long struggle, uh, with pornography. So there are some movies that if they're too explicit, I, it's just not good for me to see them. Others of you can watch that stuff and it's, it's just fine. Some of you cannot watch like the violence of Braveheart and I can watch it and cheer it on. You know, I mean, which is it. So we're, but do you see the danger? When Christians uncritically start swallowing this stuff, they, they get into the business of judging and labeling and not discerning. And they not only judge the world, but they start judging each other. And you just go, no, 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 that's not how this works. And, and if you're here, and you're not a Jesus follower, please understand, part of what the scriptures are bringing to this conversation is the understanding that the world isn't, in the third sense, totally neutral. For instance, it's normal in American culture to spend 98% of your income on you. That's normal in American culture. It's normal in American culture to hurt those who hurt you. It's normal to pay back evil for evil. It's normal to hold a grudge, right? It's normal to think that sexuality is just what you do with your body. It's normal to punish. It's normal to be greedy. It's normal to be prideful, right? That's just normal. And so the scriptural's invitation to you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is to question normal. Is that really the best way? Is the gospel of Trump the best gospel? Is the gospel of Hillary the best gospel? Is the hope lying in more government assistance and in, in more education? Is the hope lying in more capitalism and tax breaks? Is the hope lying in a strong military? All of that's normal. And the Christian story comes in and subverts what's normal and invites you into a way of seeing the world 
that operates under different categories. That the world was created by a good God to be good. It has fallen in dark. It is in the process of being redeemed and will be restored to what God originally intended for it. That's the story that Christians are invited to live in. None of us, as Jesus followers, get to exempt ourselves and say, no, no, that bad world out there, we're just not going to engage with it. None of us get to do that. Nor do we just go consume it uncritically. We hold Christian culture up, and we hold non-Christian culture up, and we sift and sort both. Make sense? Now, one of the ways we practice, you know what the word subvert means? To subvert something is to take the imagery of one story and use it to tell another. So very often, Jesus' people in the first century would take the titles and images applied to Caesar and use it to worship Jesus and to declare Jesus, all right? One of the most subversive things we do every week is we celebrate the the table. We celebrate the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, together. Do you see why that's subversive? What What is it we're celebrating? A crucifixion, a death. I mean... Good Friday? How did it ever get that name? When did cross become jewelry, right? I mean, who goes walking around with guillotines or, or like electric chairs as jewelry, right? I mean, the cross was an instrument of terrorism, for crying out loud. It's like having a suicide bomber vest and wearing that for jewelry, right? I mean, this was an instrument of terror in the first century. And yet here we are, we're crazy people, saying, you know what? That bread and that cup, yeah, yeah, it's a bread and a cup. I mean, there's nothing magic. But that is a symbolic universe that we believe is truer and realer than the universe we inhabit with our five senses right now. So it's an act of defiance in some ways. It's an act of joyful non-participation. It's an act that says, I'm questioning normal. Amen. I couldn't have said it better. That was infant for, whoa. (laughs) So as always, we want you to, we're going to open up space for you to come to the table today. Um, and, And it doesn't matter what you call yourself. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter. What matters is that there is a, a hunger and a thirst that's attached to this Jesus for something bigger something truer and something realer. And so no one's checking moral IDs, no one's checking religious affiliations. We believe Jesus receives anybody, at any time, anyone who will call upon his name. And so whether you've been walking with Jesus for years or you walked in here this morning and you're not sure, the table's open. But I want you to take, if you would, the bread and the cup today with this in view, this, this is indicting of the pattern of the world. This is the celebration of weakness. This is the celebration of humility. This is the celebration of, of service. This is the celebration of the anti-platform. This is the celebration, and, and it's not just the celebration of, but it's the invitation to then embody what greatness in the kingdom looks like. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to do four things. One, we'll sing. Standard disclaimers applied. Number two... Many of you support us, and I cannot say thank you enough. 
The school district has been amazing, but many of you financially give as an act of worship to God, but your support is absolutely, absolutely critical. We're, we're just breaking even and we're so thrilled. So thank you for that. That goes in the participation boxes around the room if you want to do it that way. Third thing we do is we pray for each other. And so we're going to have folks next to the communion stations with a gluten-free person over near the gluten-free station. We tie those together. We don't want a gluten person. They might have gluten on their breath. And we no cross-contamination, all right? So if you're gluten-free, you serve at the gluten-free station. You understand that, right? And we'll have a vegan station at some point that's going to look exactly like the normal station. Um, Javi, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. You signed up for this. Um, uh, and then what's the fourth thing? Um, oh, yeah, we're going to go to the table. So that's kind of the point. All right, so let me pray for us, all right? And uh, it was teachy. It was a little teachy, but I hope there was some good teachy. Rachel, good teachy? So good? Oh, 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 clap. Oh! Oh, I'm sorry, Jonathan. Yeah, you might want to you might want to just wash your hands after that. So, um, so Izzy, would you lead us in a chorus of "We Are the World"? Now, at some point, Izzy's going to share her story because I want you to get to know Izzy. She's 20, but she has the soul of like an 80 year old, and and um, she's kind of she's kind of in a weird mood today because she doesn't have she usually has like a Law and Order T-shirt or like a Star Wars T-shirt. She just went plain today, and we all kind of freaked out. It was like, what's wrong? What's wrong, Izzy? I don't know. So um, I don't know what the point was. I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to go. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh Lord, uh, thank you for the great gift of Jesus. And thank you that uh, you welcome us to come and to call upon his name with whatever little bit or lot of faith that we bring. Thank you for receiving us. And God, we today want to question normal. And for some of us, that just simply means normal in the Christian subculture. For others of us, that just means what it is that we're daily, the story we're daily inhabiting. But God, we take the bread and we take the cup to be reminded of a reality that's truer and bigger and richer and deeper that is centered around your act of love for us. And that love existed before time began, as confusing as that is. And so God, would you form us and shape us according to the priorities and the the values and the mission of Jesus of Nazareth, that we might look like him more and more. And for those of us still wrestling with this whole concept of faith. God, I pray that you would speak blessing, remind them of your great love and your passionate pursuit for them. So God, we give this time to you and ask your blessing on it in the name of Jesus, who we call the Christ. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, you made it. You did it. You survived it. Go ahead and let's stand in honor of your survival. Um, a couple of things. Uh, you're going to get sick of the two-service reminder, but you're going to thank me when you come at the right time, all right? 9 and 11, two weeks from now. Now, the way we launched uh, this little community is we had our first service, the first two services we did we called friends and family services, 
And those were all of our launch team just inviting particularly people who are not huge fans of church or been um, hurt by the church. And, and they were invited to give feedback on our services and, and uh, what the experience was like. Uh, and so we're going to do that again when we launch two. Uh, we've got invitations that sweet Andy Bear has made. Um, and uh, they're out in the, what do you call that, lobby? I want to call it a foyer, but that just seems like a word I'd never use. <laughs> a narthex? There's a church word for you. The lobby. They're on these tables. So we encourage you to grab some of these. It will help remind you. And they serve as great invites. And then, as always, we have an email address called feedback at voxoc.com. And we're always curious, um, particularly for those of you who are back row kind of folks um, or, or non-church kind of folks. We are so interested in what this is like for you. Uh, because we want to be faithful uh, to the traditions that have been handed down to us, and we want to speak relevantly into culture um, and for reasons we talked about today. So let us know. I'm going to pray for us as we go. All right? Sound good? What are you looking at, Judy? It's 1126, all right? Yeah, they, I keep going over, so they put two clocks up here now. <laughs> You can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him, I think is the basic <laughs> principle there. All right, so let's do our little blessing. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And may he give you peace in these days. Amen and amen. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time, say hello to somebody if you want. If not, I'll try to beat you out in the parking lot. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.